What's up, Hyperfast Nation? On this episode of the show, I sat down with a sales and recruiting expert. He has sold over $10 million in high-ticket sales. He's built a company that is well on its way to nine figures, and he's done that in just a year and a half. Welcome to the show, Cole Gordon. Welcome to the show today, Cole. How are you doing? Good. How are you, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on today. I, I know we got a lot of cool topics to dive into on sales, um, how to train sales people, and you know, then how you've been able to use that income to invest in real estate. But why don't we start off just uh, give you a chance to introduce yourself and give people a little bit of your bio. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Well, my name is Gold Gordon, and I'm the owner of Closers.io. So that's a sales training and recruiting company. And essentially, we're the only service-based company that's a dual-sided marketplace in the sales recruiting industry. So we have a certification that trains up salespeople in the same methodology that I use to generate you know, four hundred to $500,000 uh, commissions, net commissions, when I was a full-time salesperson, which, which for the thing I was selling in the industry that I was in, I mean, that was, that was really good. I understand some people make more than that, but a lot of it, I think, depends on your opportunity. For what I was doing, that was like top of the game for sure. And so we train people up and place them on one side, and the other side is we help build and, and customize sales teams. So those two sides kind of have a little bit of a network effect in which they, which they feed off of each other, you know, which is really, really cool. And we're really the only company, especially in the high ticket space, that does that. And um, that also does it from a service component, not like a pseudo software marketplace thing that's kind of just like a glorified Upwork. So yeah, that's what we do. Um, you know, five years ago, I was broke bartending and wanted to create a company and start a business. And I uh, read a bunch of books, took a bunch of courses. And after a lot of time with no success, I started a digital agency. That did okay, but I really wasn't able to be profitable, but I was good at sales. So I, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to go into this sales thing. You know, it's like kind of the military of business. People are like, you know, I'm, I'm getting into sales. And so um, I went into sales and I thought I was good. But turns out, you know, once you're a full-time sales professional and you're closing cold leads that aren't good, like bad leads, uh, you, you realize you're not as good as you thought. And so I quickly was like the worst salesperson on that team <laughs> and uh, went from being the worst to the best and you know it didn't wasn't overnight it certainly took me like a year and there's a lot of good shifts that happened during that time and then uh you know i i, I kind of after i got my talents pretty sharp um uh, i realized that not all sales opportunities are created equal you know so mm. i went to a different opportunity and immediately i was making way more than before and i was like the best person on that team then i went to another opportunity and i like tripled my income simply just because of the offer the lead generation the marketing was so much superior to like where i kind of started in my roots, which was the worst leads imaginable. I mean, they were terrible, terrible leads. We were selling real estate agents. And so after that stint, I, I started my sales training company, which uh, I started off sales training. And then I started training sales teams because a little bit more money in that. It was a little bit more fun. I could create more impact. And then I started training, uh, or sorry, I started recruiting salespeople simply just because I was getting asked all of the time, do you know where I can find good salespeople? Where can I find good salespeople? 
How do I get good salespeople? So uh, I started making connections and I'd make a connection to a salesperson, to a business owner, and then the person would be doing like a couple million a year for the business owner. I was like, man, like I should kind of be compensated for that, right? This is like my network in, in an essence. And you know, at the time there was one main competitor who uh, I certainly respected a lot of because he's a good person uh, who was doing that and, and he was somewhat successful. So I, uh, I kind of knew like, you know, I, I want to do this, but also put my own spin on it. So I sort of merged what I was already doing on the consulting side with a recruiting arm to it. So we kind of became the only company that wasn't just a sales consulting, but we also did the recruiting and it kind of bound them together into one thing. And uh, from that point, you know, we went to, when I started that, the company was doing probably 150 grand a month. And basically it was just me. So it was all profit for the most part. And then uh, I got that to two and a half million is pretty much where we've been plateaued at for almost like nine months to be candid. So two and a half million a month. So about 30 million a year. And we're still super profitable and super fun. And it's a great company. We've impacted a lot of people, worked with a lot of top names in the industry. You know, Tony Robbins, Dean Graciosi, Frank Kern, Agora Financials, a $1.5 billion company. Almost all of like the big gurus who are uh, spending a lot of money on ads. You probably see a lot of their stuff all the time. If you know Astro Flipping or Sub2 with Pace Morby, we've staffed for them as well. Uh, really anybody's and everybody's um, have, have come through or still use at one point Closures.io, which is probably what I'm most you know proud of, is is not like how much money I made, but the people that we've helped and and you know really trying to uplift the standard of this industry. What was that moment like the first time you realized, you know, I'm I'm not just selling and 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 you know getting commissions. I'm I'm at the top of the this this industry or this area like like what was that moment like and what do you think separated you from the average salesperson when i was a full-time salesperson yeah 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 i mean if you read the book turning pro by stephen pressfield i mean it was very much you know i, I just turned to pro like most to be candid and the, when, when you're like if, you, if you're being an entrepreneur it's tough because it's like the top of the, I mean, you're competing against people who are, you know, at the top of the game, extremely competitive and, and, um, you know, all of your competition is, is driven. They're, they're, they're giving it their all. Like, like there is some people who maybe lack effort, but most people are just putting in everything they have. They're developing themselves. They're investing in themselves. They're trying as hard as they can. They're working 12 hour days. So not necessarily everybody's working 12 hour days, but you know, they're all grinding. What's funny though, is when you're a salesperson for a company, um, not everybody's like that. There's a lot of people who are using it as a means to the end and it's, just, it's just literally their job. And you know, they're, they're, and I'm not saying that's anything bad. Like, you know, maybe they're optimizing their family life or their health and they're, they're really at a place where they're kind of like, you know, I like this company, but I'm not necessarily trying to be like the best in the world. So for me, hmm. I was, you know, I kind of, when I first started and I sucked, I was sort of dabbling with some other stuff. You know, I was, Oh, I, I kind of was like, oh, I'm going to get into sales and eventually start my agency again. Or I was like, oh, I'm going to get into sales and then start an e-commerce store, you know, which is very common, believe it or not. Salespeople always have these like side things going on. And so, I, you know, I kind of was like that for a while. And then I eventually, I got so good that I was like, man, if I actually just burn the boats and just tunnel vision, make this my everything, I'm going to like take this to a whole nother level. And I really took like a business owner, entrepreneurial, pro athlete, basically mindset towards my sales position. And that's when I got tremendously good is when I really went all in on it. And I, and I treated it like a NFL football player would treat, you know, football. 
right? And that's the biggest, that's the number one way I can describe it. So how did that look? Well, obviously I went through any and all, every single bit of training possible. Like I have a great sales training and a lot of it's from my experience, but you know, a lot of it's because I was able to learn from great mentors and, and, and assimilate and, and try out their stuff and, and make it my own and, and really kind of put it together into its own unique system that I felt like was authentic to me. There was also the fact that I went from essentially being like, um, you know, kind of all over the place and not taking it seriously to where like I, I really treated every single day of work like I was showing up for like a game, you know, it was like the, the Saturday night football game and I was playing like the quarterback position. So like my sleep was really good. My, I would uh, have a dial morning routine. I would do all these things in the morning. And, you know, I, I think morning routine is a little bit overrated for most people, but I will say. What did you do? For a salesperson to optimize your energy, it's huge. Sorry. Yeah, what, what did you do yeah, for your morning, your morning routine? Yeah, so the biggest thing is I do think with sales, you, you know, you need to have your nervous system revved up. So I found that I needed a couple, to wake up a couple hours ahead of time before I was even taking calls to really get my nervous system going, okay? And so I'd wake up, I started taking calls at about, uh, the sales meeting would be at 8 a.m. I'd take calls at 9 a.m. This is central time. And uh, I'd wake up at five. And I know a lot of people, like Craig Ballantyne's, you know, a friend of mine, and um, he teaches like get up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. and start working. That's great, I, I, I could do that now. But like, you're not really gonna get up in the morning, five, 4 a.m. as a salesperson, like cold call people. You know, you could, but like, they're probably not gonna answer. They're gonna be pissed off. So you don't really, you can't really start till like 8 a.m.-ish time, Central Mountain, around then. And so I would get up at five. First thing I would do every single morning is I'd read, right? Now, there's something about reading to where it does, it, if you, whatever you read in the morning influences your thoughts for the rest of the day, it is true. I mean, sometimes I'll read books on like physics and stuff and, and it's like, it'll totally influence how I'm thinking about problems hmm. and how I'm communicating with other people for the rest of the day. So that's a tremendously good habit. Now, back then I would typically read like sales books, personal development, books on energy, books on performance. Cause that's kind of what was pertinent to me at the time. And so I'd read stuff on that. And then essentially after that, what I would do is I would get up go work out and I would do something that was like explosive, um, typically like weightlifting. And then I would also like get my heart rate up, maybe do a run at the end or sprints or whatever, just to sort of like that really does do a big energy shift. And then after that, I would take a cold shower, which again, kind of helps your nervous system rev up. And then I would meditate and do breath work, particularly like a Kundalini breath of fire or Wim Hof breathing afterwards. So it was a pretty kind of, it sounds extensive. I mean, that's really not that bad. You're only kind of doing three sort of phases to it. And uh, by the end of that routine, I would be so dialed in. I'd be like Zen, hmm. you know, and I, I felt that was tremendously valuable. Now, candidly, I don't do the meditation as much as I should have. I, I do still work out a lot. I still read. I mean, reading every morning is probably my number one habit that I really like. I should probably do more meditation. Um, I just I don't know what it is right now. I just don't do it and I can get away with it. I'm opposed to sales, I really couldn't. So I would do that and then I would start my day. You know, maybe I'd do some like journaling or something, but I found, and I think there's like real, you know, st studies or science behind this, but when you do that combination of, of exercise plus, um, plus uh, the meditation or breath work, it puts you in the alpha brainwave state, okay? And so I know I've heard Tom Bailu talk about this and several other people, and there's some, it's a weird combo to where you exercise, then do the breath work, that does put you in that state and it really helps you just go through your sales day and take the rejections and take the no's and all that stuff. What do you think 
is the is the biggest thing like the average salesperson can do that um you know maybe maybe they're making a little bit of money but but they're 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 just kind of you know getting by like like what does that person do usually like to get to the next level hey hold that thought do you want to get a hundred tips for free from my best selling real estate book the hyper local hyper fast real estate agent if you do go to hyperfasttips.com and you can download a hundred of my best tips today again that's hyperfasttips.com you can download a hundred tips on how to grow your business get more clients deliver more value to more people go to hyperfasttips.com yeah well there's a couple of things right i mean there's two main levers there's your skill set and then there's your opportunity that you're doing so um let's cover the skill set first right so the first thing is i mean you actually have to be good duh right okay so two parts of being good there's like your mindset energy performance type stuff and then there's like your actual tactical abilities right so like in terms of your beliefs and your mindset and your performance um one part of that is like what do you believe about sales do you think sales is good do you have conviction in your product like a lot of times like great sales people are also very well educated on personal development and essentially they're they're very very good at helping teach prospects how to think the right way about succeeding in whatever they're selling essentially and so a lot of that comes from the right beliefs and personal development and being able to challenge people and really being a leader you know is a great way to put it so leadership um, but the other aspect of it as well is your like how you're managing your energy and i would say like i mean i just kind of gave my morning routine but i say even more important than the morning routine this is probably the single biggest thing that impacted my sales results and it's so stupid you know it's like so simple is i i just went to bed at the same time every night so hmm. i, I kind of took a bed I, my bedtime used to be like whenever to eight like i just went to bed at eight every night and then woke up naturally at like five to five thirty I mean, because the sleep is one of those cornerstone habits that everything else goes. And I still do that to today. I mean, it's, there's nothing that will make your energy and your health more consistent than that. So there's that. I mean, there's your morning routine. There, there's different things that you can do there. So um, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is like tactically and your selling abilities. And so how good are you with asking questions and your language and your sales process and being able to provide insight and diagnosing and prescribing? I mean, that's a whole thing, right? And the easiest way to get better to get good at that is to um, hire a coach, right? And particularly get in part of a program that can review your calls. Like that's the number one thing. You read as many sales books as you want, but to be honest, I have never really found them to be that helpful. The main thing is a lot of experience and getting somebody to review your calls. I mean, reviewing your own calls, you know? That's what's really going to help tremendously more than anything else. And so, um, you know, obviously that's part of what we do for our salespeople clients. Um, I can go into, there's essentially seven beliefs your prospect has to have to buy. And I've built hmm. a whole sales process around that. I can go into that if you would like. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, dive, into that. That. let's dive into that. So essentially, there's seven beliefs your prospect has to have to buy. Okay, and what we want to do is through asking questions in the sales process, we want to break down the seven limiting beliefs, the counter beliefs, and rebuild the empowering beliefs before we transition to the close. 
Because if we can do that, what happens is instead of having to hard close or convince the prospect, essentially the pros pros prospect finds themselves in the buying pocket. And because they believe what they need to believe to be true to buy, they're pretty much effortlessly closing themselves. And in doing so, they'll view us as a leader and not this like sleazy salesperson. So what are the seven beliefs? Well, the seven beliefs are pain, doubt, cost, desire, money, support, and trust. Pain, doubt, cost, desire, money, support, and trust. So pain is really the belief that they have a problem. Okay, there's two types of problems. There's like pain, which is like back pain, right? A headache. You buy an aspirin to get rid of a headache. That's like pain. It's a very away from. And then there's a unfulfilled desire. So an unfulfilled desire is they're okay, but they want to get better. Right? Their marriage is good, but it's a couple who really wants to like take their marriage to the next level. It's a person who's healthy, but they want to compete on stage and get in bodybuilding. It's a business owner who's doing a million dollars a year, but they want to get to $10 million a year. Right? So an unfulfilled desire is more a towards, a pain is more of an away from. Now, it's not a binary distinction like that. It is a dichotomy. So there's always going to be a ways from, away from and towards in every single sort of thing that people are trying to do in their lives a lot of times but there's typically a predominant one over the other, okay? So there's a pain and then there's an unfulfilled desire. And a good, good way to think about it is people either go from below average to average or average to excellent, okay? That was a framework that I learned from one of my mentors, Kevin Nations. So hmm. there's pain. All of the other six beliefs are predicated on the pain. So why is that, okay? Because business is about solving problems. That's because when you solve a problem, you create value and money follows value. So if we know that to be true, then sales is just the demonstration and the transference of certainty that we could solve a problem for somebody else. And if there's no problem, there's no sale. So we must begin conversation by identifying what is the gap? What is either the pain or the unfulfilled desire? Because everything else that I'm going to cover in just a second is going to stem based on that. So pain is number one. Doubt is number two. What is doubt? Doubt is they have to believe there's an inability for themselves to fix the problem or a lack of efficiency. So they might believe they could fix it, but it's like, ah, it would take too much time. It would be too much energy. It would cost me unnecessary resources. It's the reason why they don't want to do it themselves, right? Each of these seven leads to an objection. There's only seven types of an objection. It's, it's due to the seven beliefs. That's how I created this. And I didn't get this from a book. I literally just made this up. Like I, I, before I even was gonna teach sales. This is just how I thought about shit. So there's pain. If they don't have pain, they're gonna be like, I don't need this. I don't want this. This isn't relevant to me. If they don't have doubt, they'll say, yeah, this is relevant, but I'm gonna do it myself. What's the next belief? The next belief, the third belief is cost. Okay, cost means the pain, essentially, the cost of taking action in the form of time, energy, money, investment into your product or service is drastically less than the cost of staying where they are, the consequences of staying where they are, right? And there, there's a tipping point, right? That, that is not like, it could be like this. You know, if the cost of where they're staying where they're at is here and the cost of them investing in your product is here, that doesn't work. As Jordan Belfort says in his book, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, or what is it, Straight Line, whatever. It, 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 he's kind of, he's not the one I got this from, but this particular concept about uh, risk, or not risk threshold, but 
there's a certain type of, it might be risk threshold. There's a certain threshold they have to meet for it to work, right? So for them Otherwise to have like, the they'd cost rather of just an action stay where they are. Would you say that? Enough. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's not enough. It's yeah. It's it's not enough for them to be a little bit less. It has to be like drastically less. That's past a critical mass tipping point. Does that make sense? So uh, that's the consequences of staying where they're at. So an easy way to think about this is if you uh, have ever been to UPW and Tony Robbins walks people through the Dickens pattern or the Dickens process, where you take a behavior that you don't like about yourself or that's not serving you. And you basically imagine yourself three, five, ten years down the road of that not having been fixed. And what's going to happen? What are the consequences if you left, leave this unchanged? And then you bring all that pain back to the surface. That's establishing cost. So somebody changes their behavior. Does it make sense? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not just cost in terms of money. There's time, energy, reputation, and resource. Right. There might be some others too. So. It's not, it's, it's, it's not just money, right? The fourth thing is desire. So that's the compelling payoff they get if they fix the problem. Okay, see how all these things are predicated on the pain? If we, we can't get any of these if we don't have the pain because it's a compelling payoff of fixing the problem. It's the cost of not fixing the problem. It's the doubt about fixing the problem. So we gotta fix the problem, or we gotta find the problem first. Number five is money. They have to have the resources and the willingness to fix the problem. Okay. The resources is like, do they physically have the resources? If I'm trying to sell you on a podcast group, you know, coaching program about how to build a seven figure podcast or something. Well, if you're just starting off and you have 500 credit score and $400 in the bank and you're month to month, then you, you, you literally do not have the resources. Okay. Sure. You could maybe sell your car or something. But like, for our purposes here, we're just going to say you don't have the resources. Willingness is not necessarily do they have the resources, but if they do have it, are they willing? So for instance, one of my clients was a hmm. dating coach selling a lawyer who was making a quarter million dollars a year on how to fix his dating life. He had the pain because his dating life sucked. He had the money, but he wasn't willing. When he heard it was 5K for 90 days, he was like, huh, I'm not going to spend that much money on dating coaching. So he wasn't willing. Now, willingness is a symptom of a lack of cost. So it ties back into the one of those things. Okay. Is this helpful? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Support is do people around me, close to me, stakeholders in the decision, support me in making the decision. So support could be your partner, obviously your spouse, your business partner. It could also be though your board, your chair, your investors. It could also be like for me, I was going to invest in something not too long ago and I wasn't going to be the one implementing it. I wasn't going to be the project manager. So even though I was the decision maker, because the people who were going to implement it said they were maxed on bandwidth, I didn't have support and the salesperson lost the sale. Mm. Does it make sense? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Support. The last one is trust three types of trust trust in you the salesperson the company but more importantly trust in the methodology okay trust in the methodology what does that even mean that means they must believe your method of getting to said desire is the fastest most effective or the biggest best whatever way the only way to getting there okay the trust in the method 
here's the thing. Your method needs to be the simultaneous explanation of why everything they tried in the past has failed and why this is going to be different. If you were selling whole life insurance, you need to explain why that is your primary investment vehicle is the reason your stocks didn't work out in the past. And it's also the mechanism of how that works is the reason this is going to be different. If you're selling the ketogenic diet, by the nature of explaining the ketogenic diet, you have to explain why the person hasn't been able to lose weight due to insulin resistance and why getting in a state of ketosis is going to make a difference. Okay. Do you know who Russell Brunson is? Oh yeah. I've, I've oh, been yeah. to, um, funnel hacking okay. live. So you've been to the event. So when he pitches click funnels, he doesn't ever say, here's why you should buy click funnels. What does he say? He says, look, if you're a small business owner and you need to get customers online, developing sales funnels is the most efficient, effective way to get customers online. Because if he can get you to believe that, then he can get you to believe you're going to buy ClickFunnels. If you believe if, you know, funnels is the way and you have to do it, well, like buying his product is a byproduct of that belief. And if he's the one who installs it, you automatically buy. Right? If I teach you that, we're, that you know, if I'm a turnkey uh, company for real estate and I teach you that B and C class C, uh, single family homes is the number one most effective bulletproof way to build wealth for the average middle class or upper class American and you can rock solid that belief in. You're gonna, I mean, if I, if I happen to sell single family homes, you're gonna buy from me, right? Right. So those are the seven beliefs. What we wanna do is use our questions to basically, because each of the seven have a counter seven, like a dark side to where they don't believe it. And those create the objections, right? So with pain, if they don't have it, they don't want it. Doubt is I can do this myself. Cost is, yeah, let's circle back in three months. Oh, this sounds good, let me think about it, right? Any sort mm -hmm. of like delay is always a cost thing. Desire is like, um, it re really it's again like they don't want it desire is usually very rare but it's like they are um, like in a lot of pain but they have they have so little vision they don't see where your product's going to take them this is very rare nobody really struggles with that one but it is important to establish uh, money is I don't have the money dog support is let me talk to my insert whatever you want dog grandma etc <laughs> then trust is this is key. Trust is, I know I need to do this and I need to do it now, but this sounds like kind of, I don't get how this is different. It sounds like the last mm. X I invested in. It sounds like the last turnkey company that promised me Y. It sounds like, you know, the last group coaching program I was a part of. So how is your thing any, any different? I've already been burned by this before. So what, what can happen is if we could use our questions, to break down the counter beliefs and reinstall the empowering beliefs before we transition to the close, we create what's called an objectionless close to where again, the prospect, instead of us having to hard close them, they close themselves, you know, because what happens is when we ask the questions, we're asking them to speak into existence, the rebuttal to their own objection. When they do that, we're leveraging what Robert Chardini calls the highest driver of human behavior which is what the consistency bias, the, 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 the desire to appear consistent mm. is the highest driver of human behavior. 
right? That's why they say if you want to achieve a goal, declare it publicly because now you're going to want to fulfill what you said you're going to do. Okay? So if we can get them to speak into existence, the rebuttals of their own objections, and do it in a socially aware way. Because granted, when I say that, a lot of salespeople will say, oh, that, that makes, duh. Like, yeah, yeah, you want to, you know, use your questions to get, get the answer. It's like, yes, but like the, the problem is like, most people, they just, they clunk around in the process. It's just, it's just bad. So it either creates a bunch of sales resistance or the prospect's not honest, et cetera. So if we can an attackful Socratic dialogue method of doing it, speak, have the prospect speak their objections into, into existence, they're going to talk themselves right into the sale. Does that make sense? Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you want to take your real estate business to the next level? If you do, there's no reason to go it alone. Learn from people who've been where you want to go. Carrie and I have sold billions of dollars in real estate. We've netted over seven figures for seven years in a row now. And we want to see if you would be a good fit to work for us. We don't work with a lot of people, but we want to give you a chance to get on a free strategy call to see if we can help you get your business to the next level. Go to hyperfastcoach.com and apply for your discovery session today. Again, that's hyperfastcoach.com. Yeah, what, um, if, if you do this uh, well enough, you mentioned the objectionless close, do you actually get to a, um, a point where instead of you having to close them, they're closing you? Closing you. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I just said. Yeah. That's... Um, you know, do you teach um, almost at that point that that before you even make the sale, you should be trying to get them to close close you, like almost like like they need to prove to you why? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it, you're you're not laying down and being a passive like beta and. Right. Right. being like, oh yeah, you're just gonna talk yourself into it, and you're certainly not doing this thing where you're like, well, like. You like why should I work with you? You know, like we're a turnkey real estate company. We only take them around. Why should we work with you? Like it's like, okay, like look, that can work if it's authentic. It is very powerful if it's authentic. You know, a lot of that I think comes from Dan Kennedy stuff. And you know, he used to teach like be very unavailable and like make it so they have to fight to basically get a hold of you and qualify themselves to you. That that is great if there's a true supply and demand like gap right there's right. very little supply right. a lot of demand yeah that works great okay like if the rock comes out with a coaching program and he only takes on 100 people right. yeah he should he should just do that you know but no i mean what i teach is like you know the everyday salesperson trying to make some sales and most of the times that that doesn't work you know so it doesn't mean they need to be this like golden retriever salesperson and they're like you know beta or something but they just need to come from a place of being equal you know, and it's like, hey, we want to find a mutually good fit. Yeah, I, I love I love how you break down that that those seven beliefs and and you know using questions to get there. Uh, love love the example of Russell Brunson as well because I've been to a lot of a lot of his events and um, the way he's been able to scale a sales company has been you know, amazing to see. So, um, clearly, you know, you're, uh, you're immersed in, in 
uh, a lot of a lot of these these you know systems and, and these top top guys what they, what they've put out um how how does how do how do you build how have you built a company where you're able to to translate you know these techniques and strategies to to so many other sales agents or salespeople in different um, you know industries. Yeah, I mean, well, um, a big part of it is one documenting the thought processes and the training and all of that stuff into something somebody can go through, and then number two, it's it's actually giving somebody real support and uh, what would you say, you know. Um, Feedback, I suppose. I mean, that sounds pretty obvious, but like, mm. here's the deal. When I was in college, I played college football for a little bit. And all we did, like, I mean, we, we did this more than practice. Mo the majority of our time was spent reviewing film. That was like literally everything. And I think there's a lot of power in that because when you review film and you can see yourself and you can like look at what you were doing and like you could see kind of how you were doing it and then you can get critiqued on what the change, there's nothing that helps behavioral change in anything as much as that. And the great thing about sales is you could do that, right? You can critique. Okay. And so I would say that's the number one thing because people can go through training and they can think they're doing a lot of stuff, right? Like I, you know, there's so many times like a salesperson, I don't do these Q and A's as much anymore, but I used to do a Q and A's in our group and, uh, the salesperson would be like, yeah, I got this objection. And like this happened. And I'd be like, okay, well, I say this. And they'd be like, yeah, I said that. I'd be like, okay, well, like, did you say this? It's like, yeah, I said that too. And it's just like, they're trying to like, maybe get you to confirm that like, yeah, you couldn't, there's nothing you could do. It's not your fault or something. But then you listen to the call and it's like terrible. And you're mm -hmm. like, okay, well, like, obviously you just stink. So it's, it's a blind spot. And I think what you need to do is help people reveal their own blind spots. Awesome. Uh, before we uh, wrap up here, I always like to end with a hyper fast round. If you are uh, ready for some rapid fire questions and answers. Sure. All right. What is the uh, number one piece of advice you would give to a new salesperson? Get a mentor. What's the biggest mistake you see experienced salespeople making? Forgetting the fundamentals getting lazy and, and really not listening because they've heard the same person say things a bajillion times. So what happens is like nine months, like Neil Rackman did a study in like nine months into somebody's sales career. Typically what happens is because they've heard the same problem so many times, they tend to shortcut the discovery and they don't listen as much. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. What's the biggest challenge you've had in your business and how did you overcome it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would say it's hard, like there's been a lot of challenges, but I don't know if there's been a single biggest one. I think the biggest one is just really at the end, at the end, the beginning, figuring out what the hell you're doing. You know, it's like figuring out like what's really going to be the thing you stick with and the market wants it. There's good product market fit. There's good scale. It's a great bit, that type of stuff like that took me a while to, kind of figure it out. And then even when I figured it out, I questioned it a bunch. So that was kind of the hardest, most agonizing phase because you're in this place of like mental purgatory. Mm. Uh, 
if you had to start all over and you couldn't take your reputation or your money or your connections with you, what's the first thing you would do and why? Well, let me, let me answer this question. I, I would just get into sales and an industry that I really liked, but let me just answer um, this question more broadly for anybody who um, would need it. What you should do is you should assess what you're passionate about and then you should go get a job in that industry of what you're passionate about working for a very fast growing up and coming company that gives you a lot of growth potential and that allows you hopefully access in the company to some great mentors, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, okay. So for me, if I was restarting, I would, I would just work for Alex Ramosi. like a hundred percent. I would just work for that guy because like, he's kind of like the highest signal to noise individual in the entire industry. And so I would just find a way, I mean, I don't know if I had no skills, I'd just be as like janitor or something. I don't, I don't know. I just try, try to figure out like, how can I get into that dude's ecosystem? Or I would get in the job that allowed me to get into his, you know, I would, I would kind of like stepping stone it. And so right. that's kind of what I did a, a little bit, you know, I didn't work for him, but I, I worked for somebody else that was um, kind of, you know, on that same trajectory in a sense uh, when I started off. It's a very, very good thing because you're going to get mentorship. You're going to be a part of a fast growing company. Also, like there's a, something to be said about being a part of a company that's great. So like most entrepreneurs, I think really struggle because they don't even know what a great company looks like. They just like have no idea what that even looks like. Whereas I like was a part of one. Mm. So when I went to build one, I kind of already knew how to do it. Like I know, it's not that I knew how to do it. I just, I knew what it looked like. It's, it's, it's weird. It's like a different thing, but how do you learn that? It's like, you can't unless you've been there. So that's the biggest hack I would do is I find the passion industry you're passionate about, find a fast growing category King top company. It's like before it gets to the corporate -y crazy level, like it could be, you know, a hundred billion company potentially. It just, you, you got to find it to where there's like not bureaucracy. It's still relatively small, uh, but it's also successful and they're category King. And then yeah. I would uh, develop a income producing skill within the company that could be leadership, that could be some form of marketing. That could be some form of cop, uh, well, copywriting is marketing. And then it could be some form of sales. That could be dev. Uh, just some sort of specialized knowledge you want to get, you know, uh, with that company. All right. Last question. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Um, you know, hopefully being the, the biggest sales trainer and sales recruiter in the world. You know, I, I don't think we're very far off from that now. I don't think it'll take 10 years, but yeah, I mean, that would be the biggest thing. And then, uh, ideally having a billion dollar company. Um, but I will say this, it is hard, like for us, like everything is, is grown so fast that, you know, it, it, I can, I can give a better five year vision than I can give a 10 year vision just because, mm -hmm. you know, it's like we, when you're growing and you're doubling every three months or six months, I mean, things are growing so fast in your vision and your beliefs of what's possible. It changes so fast that it's hard to really set in stone a good 10 year vision. So that's a skill I'm still trying to build. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cole, for being on the show today. Before uh, you, before we sign off here, if people want to learn more about you, connect with you or your, your services, uh, what are the best ways for them to do that? Closes.io website. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Cole. If you want to learn more about what Cole and his company are doing, go to closers.io. 
And uh, thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. All right. I'll see you guys. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and go to hyperfastagent.com to learn about upcoming in-person and online events. And don't forget to share this show with someone that you think could benefit from hearing it and make sure you subscribe on YouTube or anywhere that you can find podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyperfast Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyperfast shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. I hope you enjoyed that video, and if you want to see more, click right here. And if you want 100 real estate tips from my best-selling book, click right here to download them instantly. And if you're new to this channel, click below to subscribe.